Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Capri. I've been trading for over two decades. I am a former broker on Wall Street. I was a broker with FXCM. I've traded for a hedge fund, which is the JNF hedge fund. And I wasn't just trading with them. I was also in charge of education as well, teaching the new traders and hirees as they're coming up. And I've had Second Skies, which is basically taking my institutional experience to teach you how to trade the markets, to give you the skills, because trading isn't just about strategies, it's about skills. You know, just like the game of football or soccer isn't about the defensive or offensive strategies you have, it's about skills. And so that's my job as a trader and as an educator is to teach you those skills. So I'm also a verified profitable trader. We've shared our live performance over the last year. We did about 72% return as all verified. And we're already up about 20, 25% for this year as well. And we'll be sharing our second quarter results very soon. So we share quarterly results, all live trading, so that you know I'm a verified profitable trader. And Neil asked me to briefly kind of describe our trading methodology. And if I could do it in like a minute, it would be very simple, which is that it all comes down to order flow. It doesn't matter whether you are a fundamental trader, you're a technical trader, you're a sentiment trader or a flow-based trader. All those are just forms of information and those information, those forms of information have to be boiled down into an actual trade. It has to be done to a buy and sell or a type of trade. And the aggregate of all that order flow, whether it's in the options market or the futures market or the stock market or the FX market, doesn't matter. The aggregate of that order flow is the most proximate driver of price action or the price changes you see on your charts. And so my job as a trader, and this is you know just one I've learned working as an institutional trader, is that it all comes down to flow. And your job as a trader should be to understand flow. When you can do that, you can see who's in control, who's not. And you can see you know where there are transitions, where there are changes in momentum or increases in momentum, when the market's likely to reverse. This is not something that's going to be learned easily. It takes time just like becoming a good martial artist or a good musician or anything like that, it takes time. But when you do that, the rewards are exceptional. So that's my basic style. I wanna say hi to everybody uh, as well on the uh, YouTube. I am watching this live. So I will get to your questions. Hi to you, Araberto. Como te va? Todo bien con usted? So with that being said, and born to be free, I've seen you around. Good to see you again as well. So I'm here today to talk about long-term investing which is kind of different from some of the trading things. And yet many of the principles are still the same. So I want to talk about how to, I want to briefly start off why you should at least consider it. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just going to present it to you and then you decide if it fits for you. And then I want to talk about how and some frameworks and models that you can do to help you decide what to invest in long-term. And then after that, if we have enough time, I'm going to share with you some technical ideas on how to do that. I'm going to talk about options, and then we'll talk about also just investing purely in the underlying or the stock itself. So with that being said, just a brief why. Why long-term? And it's not why should you do long-term. This is more about why you should consider a long-term approach as one of your methods to get involved or integrate into the market, whether it's trading, options, it doesn't matter. Why should you look at a long-term approach? And when you think about the two vari- or the three variables I have up on the screen, disruption, market share, and dominant position. So if you think about disruption, what does it take for a company to come in 
and disrupt a market. There has to be inertia in the current players that are in the market. Means you disrupt something. You're not going to disrupt something that is new and innovative because it's new and innovative. You're going to disrupt something that is old, stale, and has an inertia with the current market incumbents. Those industries are ripe for disruption. But if you disrupt something, it takes time to establish the second variable, market share. That takes time. It takes time for people to know your brand, to know about your product, to experience it, to have inter have an interactive experience with the product and you as well. And so that takes time. And then again, to establish a dominant position, that also takes time. So the answer in terms of why long-term investing, why you should look at a long-term horizon as one of your potential ways to engage the markets is that it requires time for these stocks to build up a massive amount of value. The thing is, is that when you allow these stocks to have time, they can build up exceptional amounts of value. Amazon is a great example of this. Amazon went public, I think in 97, 98, late 97, it went public for about $1.50, $1 a share. It's now in the 3,600s. That's roughly a 207,000% return. A single $500 investment in Amazon back in those days would be worth over a million dollars today. Most traders, and whether they're scalpers or day traders or swing traders, aren't doing a 207,000% return on capital over a 20-year period. If you were to have a million profitable traders out there, you're talking maybe 0.1% of the traders that are profitable could do a 207,000% return. In other words, if it's hard enough to become a profitable trader, you should plan on you not being that 0.1% or 0.01% who can turn 500 into a million, especially with one trade. So it's important to understand that the reason why long-term investing requires that length of time is because it takes time for companies to become disruptive, to build market share, and establish a dominant position. Once they've done that, then value generation becomes something they do year after year after year. So with that being said, any questions on this kind of why it takes time for this to work out? Um, let's see here. I have a Sri Hunter in my home. I have one right behind me. As you notice, they're out of there. Good to see you. What does a verified profitable trader mean? It means that they are to they are able to establish with a live track record that they make money. They can do it through like a MyFX book account. We've done ours through TraderView, TraderVUE.com. We literally on our 2020 performance video downloaded our account statement from our broker platform while we're recording the video live, uploaded it to TraderView. TraderView examined all our trades and showed that we made money. So that's what a verified profitable trader is. It's someone who can verify through a third-party performance you know, website or service or a professional audit that with live money, they are able to make money. So it's not a demo account. It's not hypothetical. It's verified to be live. So hopefully that answers your question. Is a code for blind date with coworkers, cute friend. I have no idea how to answer that one. You totally stumped me on that, Gregory. And very few people stumped me. Okay, so it doesn't look like there's any questions uh, around in this part. So I'm gonna give you a couple methodologies that are kind of ways to attack 
potential long-term investments. And I'm particularly talking about the stock market. We could talk about other markets, but I'm particularly talking about the stock market. So approach number one is what we call the starter approach. It's looking for stocks that are going public for the first time, companies that are going public for the first time. And that gives you a chance to really get invested with them very early on in the stage. This is important. And it's always important to have some of these in your portfolio because these stocks, if you nail them, they can produce massive you know, multiples of return. I could show you chart after chart after chart of companies that have gone public and over a 10, 20 year horizon have produced not only 10 times, but 100x returns. And that's not something that you are likely to do with trading, trading capital. It's just not likely to, that that's going to happen. If you're lucky, you can do 30 to 50, 70% a year, consistently year after year after year. And in 10 years, you're going to have a pretty decent return, but you're not doing you know thousands and thousands of percent return. Starters give you that opportunity to get in the early stages. The only way to beat that out is to get in pre-IPO. And that takes access. You'd have to be an accredited investor to do that. And I'm going to assume most of you aren't that. So I want to give you a method that everybody has a potential to get involved in. So these are starters. And we'll talk about some starters that I think are potential starters that are either going live or have just gone live or will be going live or early in that stage of their stock going public that they still have years and years of potential growth ahead of them. So we'll share some starters with that. That's the first methodology. The second methodology is to look at well-established players. These are people who have built up that dominant market share, their household names, and they still have a lot of potential growth and profitability left with them. So if I was to think of a few, Amazon would be one of those. Microsoft would be one of those. Um, we can look at Netflix. These are all well-established players that have such a dominant position in the market that they kind of are in such a position that they will take up the majority of revenue out there. It is very common in every type of industry that the number one player in that industry absorbs about 70 plus percent of the market share and revenue. When you look at sodas like Coke and Pepsi and stuff like that, there's a huge gap between Coke and Pepsi. When you look at online retail, there's a huge gap between Amazon and another mega corporation, Walmart. When you start to look at any particular industry, there's usually one player that is the most established player and they're the most dominant, and they generally take up 70% of the market share. And when that's your company, that puts you in a position to continually grow and absorb a lot of revenue. So we'll talk about established players and who are those apex predators in that particular industry. And then the third methodology is income generation. Income generation is stocks or companies that are established, but there's not really one dominant competitive advantage that there's kind of like a relative level of equality between them. However, because they're established and because they have this ongoing type revenue, maybe particular utility companies or something like that, where they are needed in such a way they tend to provide income generation towards your portfolio. These are companies that generally have stable price action. They have stable price or price stability and they offer dividends. And the dividends on top of the price stability creates this kind of fertile environment to create or generate income from that.
So uh, with that being said, I just want to look questions real quick just to make sure everybody's good on that. Rules of long and short term is different. What shall I take out the money? What and where is the line when I should take out the money? Okay, so I'm not here to talk about short term. That's a separate subject and we can hopefully talk about that at a later day. But in terms of long term, um, I wouldn't look to be like a regular period of taking money other than like at a minimum once a year. I wouldn't look to take money out of this for once a year because we want to keep money in there that continues to generate value over time. And I'll explain a little bit more why in this, but if you're thinking about, hey, am I gonna be using long-term for a regular income? This is the kind of thing you would do once a year. So once a year, you take a big paycheck out of it. You still allow your account to grow because the larger it grows, the more that snowball generates income for you over time, more income with a bigger snowball, so to say. Um, are you talking about IPOs? Yes, some are IPOs. Um, retirement, most will not retire with even close enough. I'm not really talking about retirement. I'm talking about building a long-term investment portfolio and how to do that. Um, retirement is going to be a subjective term for everybody in terms of their needs, financial desires, and timeline. So I'm just more to here to give the methodology. Snap, crack a puck. I need the next NVIDIA, Amazon, Facebook, because a uh, long-term account. Yes, we'll be sharing some of these. Um, okay. Peer analysis is available on most platforms. He has good music too. I think you're talking about Neil. He's the guy who plays the music. Great explanation. Seem good with technical indicators. Maybe you always success in educating new trader and industry. Happy train. Thank you for that. Okay. Any other things? How do you spread the risk among long-term investments? So let me get to risk shortly. I want to talk about some of the potential players, but we'll get into risk shortly. Um, is it better to invest in electric companies rather than Bitcoin? We're going to get into that. And will this be available later? Yes, I think this uh, video is available uh, in its entirety. What if you are an accredited investor? Will you give a few ideas? If we have time for that, for sure. But if you're an accredited investor, you should already have ideas. So, um, but yeah, I have a company that I'm going to be investing in pre-IPO um, because I am an accredited investor. So, leave it. People retirement, people retirement, leave it emergency. Okay, I, 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 no more comments on retirement. Okay, I think I've gotten to that. Um, gotten to that, and we'll talk about sectors very short. Do you hedge long term? Yes, we'll get into that. Um, okay, so let's talk about some potential long term investments, and I have a list from of potential stocks from each category. So, and then we're going to talk about once I go over this list, um, then I want to talk about some of the methodologies that I would recommend employing in terms of. Do we use technicals? Do we use fundamentals? Do we use option positioning? How do we use these to help potentially generate these trades and these investments? So I want to talk about starters. Starters can be anything from pre-IPO to early stage. These are stocks that you generally want to get in within the first few years at the latest, because as we're going to see, stocks that have good companies that disrupt that develop dominant market share, once they've gotten to that place five, 10 years in, they have already now kind of solidified themselves and then they're gonna begin a phase of massive value growth for their investors. So I'm gonna pull up a chart on Amazon. I'm gonna start with the monthly Amazon. By the way, this is the chart I was telling you about. It started at about $1.50, it's now $36.56. That's over a 207,000% return. 
Very few profitable traders will ever generate that in their lifetime. Bet on you not being that person. So if you look at where most of the value generation happened for Amazon, you would look at it in this phase. And from a time perspective, this was, you know, 15 in the last six years. You would have missed some darn good returns on this one here. It looks on scale, it looks off, but you're like, okay, to go from $1.67 to $400, you know, what is that? Almost a 300 times return, a 300x return on that. That's a darn good return, but the massive growth and valuation acceleration of value didn't happen until it was already established. So established domination market share. That's where the biggest kind of gains happen. From this here, it went from 400 to 3,600. That is a nine times multiple of your already 300 times multiple. So you can see this again and again, that you look at where the majority of Microsoft gains are. Don't get me wrong. This is an impressive return to go from its IPO of a dollar up to 59. That's a 60X return. But again, where is the massive value generation? It's always in you know these kind of later stages, so to say. That's because by then it's been able to build that. Obviously, it would be nice to be able to just say, hey, let's just get in at this period, but you'd be missing all these potential returns on that. And that's why we look towards a long-term investment horizon. I'm not saying you shouldn't day trade. I'm not saying you shouldn't swing trade. I do both of those and I also long-term invest. So we could go over company after company, but this is kind of the idea of why you want to buy and hold something for long-term because then you can capture this initial growth phase and then the kind of stratospheric shoot to the moon type experience, which if you look at this one, again, is in the last five years. So with that being said, I want to talk about a few starters that are either pre-IPO or in their first few years, kind of early infancy, young toddler stage as a stock. So one that is about to go live that I think could be a potentially good investment is Robinhood. It's a disruptor. It's established a solid market share and it has an incredibly strong position from which it's going. That doesn't mean that the IPO, it could drop in value from that. There's certainly a possibility of that. But as long as Robinhood keeps doing what it's doing, and acquiring millions of new investors, offering new products like fractional share investing, which I think is great for long-term investing, and continues to develop its products, it's gonna be in a dominant position for a while. They pioneered the whole zero commission thing, which we should all be grateful for. So I think Robinhood could be one of those potentials pre-IPO. But when I look at stocks that are already gone IPO, they're public now, I'm going to list one, two, three, four, five. I'll list five. Um, I think one that has in the energy space, which has a, I'm going to show you the year and experts, but they have an OTC, is uh, Viola. And I like this one because I think energy is still energy stocks, utilities. This is in water, which is, as you all know, in the West Coast, kind of very important. Um, I feel like this is a company that has rebuilt its business around water, waste management, generation, production, storage, and water is going to be one of the most important resources, natural resources we have. 
So this has been around for a little bit, but they've kind of rebuilt their business model. And that's kind of what I'm looking at it as a newer company and their new business model. And so I think in the energy space, I think VIE, which their OTC symbol is V-E-O-E-Y. I think they are potentially a really good OTC stock that has a lot of room to grow, considering water is going to be one of the most important natural resources. I think NEO as an alternative EV car company, it's only been around for a few years. I think they have room for massive amounts of growth. And we'll be talking about, you know, potential entries. We can go back to these later. But I think NEO is one of those that has a chance to really dominate the EV market in China. They got a lot of support in them. And EV, EV cars in China is a massive new market that is still early stages. Think of the U.S. back in like 2010. That's where the China's EV market is right now. They are doing so well that they're taking a massive chunk of the pie from Tesla who's been around for a long time. They are the dominant EV car maker. So I think Neo is an early stage um, player that could really challenge the incumbents and take such a large market share that they could become number two in the space, at least in China, in the near future. Somebody who presented at the cannabis conference recently, Mind Medicine. I think they are early stage, as you can see. They've only been around for about a year now. I think they are potential in terms of because they have an interesting suite of products in the psychedelic space. And while cannabis stocks have gone from nothing to 20x, 30x valuations, um, I think we could see that in the psychedelic space. It has hurdles of regulation. That's going to be a big issue. But you're already starting to see states open up regulations for psychedelics as a treatment. And as someone who studied neuroscience, and has looked at the literature, it looks incredibly promising in terms of effective treatments for PTSD and all kinds of things that people are going through psychological treatments. And so if the psychedelic space does take off, this to me is an early stage company that could have massive potential. Um, a few others that are still early, um, Pacific Biosciences. Um, the stock has been around for just about a decade but I still think they're early stage. And uh, the reason why I think it's early stage is because the technology and the equipment to really express their particular strengths have only really come up a new level in the last few years. I think gene therapy, CRISPR technology, that kind of thing. I think all of the things that Pacific Biosciences is involved in or that arena is going to see massive amounts of investment flows and attraction in the near future. So I think this is another example of a starter. Um, and then Teladoc. Even though it's had a massive appreciation, this is a stock that's only been around for about five, six years. And I think telemedicine is something that is here to stay. And they are one of the companies that is best positioned to take advantage of this. We recently wrote, wrote an article on why, um, because of their investments in the telemedicine space, which I, I don't think, I don't think there's any way you can put that genie back in the bag. And then they think all of a sudden people are just going to start going to hospitals and doctors, you know, right now to get a doctor's appointment is insane. And so why not just do a zoom call with them? That whole industry is still early stage, you know, one and a half years out. It's as, it's as, it's as young as the COVID crisis has been around and that is going to spawn new kinds of generation of technology and investments in the future. Um, okay. So let's see here. 
Any questions on this before we move forward? Looking for a good question. Wouldn't you get a bit scared now that it's pretty much high? Um, I think you could try that with Microsoft. Can't think about, I mean, what if you had gotten scared here and decided never to invest in Microsoft again? You would have missed out on a 6x return from this high. It's easy to think, oh, it's high. High in relationship to what? In relationship to what? The whole point of long-term investing is that you get in early enough so that the company is in a position to start to take over market share, start to dominate and become the leading number one or number two product out there. You could have easily said at many points in time that Amazon was high at 383 and you would have missed out on a 10x return on that, a thousand percent return from there. You could have easily said that Netflix was you know, high at $37 and you would have missed out on a 15, 14x return from there. So high in relationship to what? Into recent history? Sure, but we're not looking about recent history as like, oh, this is, you know, the, the ceiling of the stock. When again, when a company establishes dominance and market share, they eventually start creating massive value generation for stock investors. Super, super important you understand that. So again, try not to think about it as a trader. Try and think about it in terms of a longer time horizon. Because again, if you look at Netflix, where did most of its price acceleration happen in the last few years? This is where the greatest portion of price acceleration happened. This is about a 4X multiple right here. So, you know, yes, it was able to get up to 126, but boom. You know, that's massive price acceleration. Super important that you kind of understand that perspective. With new model automakers looking to October, do I look to advertising consumer sentiment? No, you want to look at who's who are the top three players in the industry? And is somebody starting to take away, if they're number three, are they starting to nip at the heels of number two? Or if they're number two, are they starting to nip at the heels of number one? That's super important that you understand that. So you always want to look at the top three in any particular industry or field and then see who's gaining market share from the people above them. If they are the number one, then are they acquiring more market share? Are they consolidating more market share or are they losing market share? So that's really what you're looking for. Um, fractional shares is not a game changer. Um, I'm going to disagree with that um, because it allows investors with small accounts to diversify their holdings and invest in companies that they normally wouldn't be able to. You have a $2,000 account, which is probably, if you look at the universe of accounts out there, that's probably 70 plus percent of the accounts out there. How many shares of Netflix without margin is a $2,000 account gonna be able to buy? Maybe three while giving yourself a little bit of room? With fractional shares, that changes that. It's game-changing for the smaller investor because it now gives them access to stocks that they wouldn't be able to access normally. How many shares of Amazon are they going to get 
if there are no fractional shares? Zero. And what if Amazon has another $5,000 potential upside? One share could be a lot for someone that size account, but they can't do it, so they got to go fractional. I, I disagree with that sentiment. I, I'm willing to hear arguments on that, but I disagree with that sentiment per se. Um, if it wasn't, if it wasn't such a game changer, then why were the e-minis created and why were fractionally e-minis created? Why did why did these why did these clearinghouses and why did the exchanges create that? Because it gives investors access to markets they wouldn't be able to get access to before, and therefore chances to generate revenue and build their wealth. So I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment, but I'm open to be, I'm open to other ideas on that. Let's see, okay. I agree. Fashion share is amazing. Democratizing investing. Yes. It's almost deflating seeing small returns. It makes you feel, I don't know about you, but 72% for me last year doesn't seem like small returns. And you can't think about this of like, Hey, I'm going to start investing stocks long-term and just like turn it, you know, my 2000 into a million dollars next year. Wealth isn't built like that. You know, Facebook was like, a company for about seven years before they went public. And Mark Zuckerberg got a massive payday on the day he went public. But since then, he's grown his fortunes massively by staying involved in the company over the last three years. Wealth isn't something that you should bet on wealth not being something that you get tomorrow. If your goal is to get wealth tomorrow, you might as well take everything, just throw it on red or black. At least you have some good odds and you'll know within a few seconds whether you're wealthy or broke. If that's really your game, but true wealth, people who really build wealth, if you're not inheriting it, 99% of those people build wealth over time. It's not something that you're generating tomorrow. So you can't think about returns in the scope of like, hey, one month, three months, six months. You have to think about how do I build this up over time? One of my students just focused on making $85 a day on their day trading account, $85 a day, five days a week. And in a year, all of a sudden he's like, wow, my $20,000 account is now like a $40,000 account. That's not bad because he was just focused on small little gains over time. How were the Egyptian pyramids built? One stone at a time. So that's how you build wealth. Um, a small account can't wait for two years of profit. The assumption to be that the market is driven by fundamentals. I'm not saying the market is driven by fundamentals. I said it's driven by order flow. Um, but with that being said, you're right. A small account can't wait for two years. Well, guess what? You're not supposed to use your small account as your primary form of wealth generation. That's a very bad methodology in my opinion. The average millionaire has seven streams of income. If you have a job and a small account, you got two. So maybe you should just look at your small account as one stream of income while building up another five streams of income. What could another stream be? You could day trade. You could swing trade. Those are two streams right there. You can do some option trading. That's another stream right there. You could create another business if you like or another product or work extra. So I'm not saying you, you with your job and your one small account should just rely upon your small account to take profit. You should try and build as many streams of income as possible. And this long-term account is one of those. In the beginning, it's not going to be much, but in years, it can be exceptional. And maybe in the future, your long-term account in five, 10 years from now could be crushing your day trading account. I know many people like that. 
where their long-term investing account is destroying their short-term day trades. I, I just want to jump in and say that some of the best gains that I've ever had have been getting it, like identifying in the early stages of a trend or a markup phase in a good stock, um, in a good market, and then yes. auto-depositing. Yes. Every week, every day, whatever it is, whatever amount makes sense out of my paycheck, just auto depositing, dollar cost averaging, and just letting that sucker grow. Um, and then a lot of times, what I found is like, if there's a down day, it's because of my trading. It's not because of my uh, longer term investment choices. Um, so, a testament from me, and, and that's that includes fractional shares too. So those are helpful. Yeah, and I appreciate you mentioning that, Neil. But I mean, it shows your experience. So last year. We did a 70, approximately 72% return. The biggest dollar winner I had out there trade-wise was DraftKings. Mm -hmm. I bought DraftKings in the mid-20s. And I even said, like from the very early on buying it, I announced public on YouTube, I am holding DraftKings for the rest of the year. This I, I, I announced it ahead of time. I'm holding DraftKings for the rest of the year. I'm holding it for the rest of the year. I'm holding it for the rest of the year. So I gave you a free trade idea very early on, eight months before I closed it out. I bought it in April. I bought it in May. I bought it in June. I kept buying it on the way up. But the initial trade that we did, provided we did the math, it was the largest individual trade gainer of all the trades we took. And we took 502 trades last year. 502. And it was our largest individual winner. And on top of it, it was our largest percent of the overall account. So 36%, I don't mean like percent, percent basis, 36% of our 72% return was DraftKings. So that comes out to about a total of 21% of those 72% gains was one trade. And it was the one we held the longest. And it was the one that, like Neil said, we bought early in a strong market for that year. And then we closed it out like December 14th, December 18th. You can even see on our, our verified performance video, there's all these dots. The green ones are profitable trades. The red ones are losing trades. And you see this one trade in the corner that was held for the longest and at the highest dollar return. That was the DraftKings trade. It crushed all our day trades. There wasn't a single day trade out there that beat it. Not even close. So what I'm saying is, is that long-term trading and investing is just one form of income generation. Ideally, you should build seven for yourself. Mm. I'm not saying this should be the only thing you should do. I'm saying it's one arrow in your quiver. I, know, I like how you I like how you broke that down. So like like at first I was like, whoa, how am I how am I gonna get seven income streams? You know, uh, but but like uh, so so you've got your longer term investing absolutely makes sense. I'm gonna pick a couple in ETFs for me. I'll do this. I'll look at whatever like if it's for a quarter or for a year, whatever looks like it's going to be strong and perform well. I'll pick an ETF. I'll pick a stock. Um, I'm probably gonna do this with Airbnb. Um, is going to be one that I'm interested in in for years, just adding to hopefully. Um, and I like the chart right now as well. Um, and then uh, the swing trading. So I'll grab those names. Uh, uh, and then a little, I'll do a little bit of uh, uh, options day trading. Uh, talk to me by Brad Weber. Um, I like to play around. I also use DraftKings, but I used it for <clears throat> some options day, day trading, which was made a lot easier because it had such strength and momentum. Um, so when I was doing, when I was going long on it with options, it made it so much easier. Um, so yeah, uh, I was wondering what you thought about. So in the context of this long-term investing, what are your thoughts on Airbnb? I love it. 
I think it's a great company. So Airbnb in such a short period of time, what, what are the three variables we look for? We look for disruptor, we look for somebody that has market share and is increasing their dominance. Airbnb's done that. Their market cap right now is bigger than Marriott, Hilton, and Hyatt combined. And they've done it in such a short period of time. So if you think about it, a company that comes in into a field where there's inertia, wherever there's inertia, the hotel space, they come in and they say, hey, we're going to offer a relatively similar product, but in a completely new way. And that's one of the things that they've done is they said, look, how can we turn everybody's individual spaces or cabins or whatever into income generation for them mm -hmm. and for us? The thing about it is, is that their product is not their own inventory. They don't own the properties. Yeah. So the devaluation, increase in valuation of those properties doesn't matter. It doesn't affect them. They're using somebody else's product, helping them get access to a market to make money while they themselves providing a new product. And one of the things I like about Airbnb is that they've shown their innovation. They're not just like, hey, we've just launched Airbnb and that's it. We're done. No, they've created Airbnb experiences. And this mm -hmm. was totally brilliant. So Airbnb experiences is, okay, if somebody wants to get you know, a home or a room or a hotel or something like that in New York, why are they going there? Why does somebody need that place? Are they going there for a business conference? Or maybe they're going there because they want to see the city, explore the city. Maybe they want to check out the food. Maybe they're going to Paris and want to get some exposure to French. So they launched experiences, which is not just the Airbnb places that you rent. Hey, guess what? You're going to Paris. We got a bunch of tour guides here that are going to show you different experiences in Paris. People don't go to cities or travel to locations for the location in and of itself. They go there for an experience. And that's a company that's listening to the people's need, the client's need. They go to Paris for a business experience. They go to Paris for a language experience or cuisine or get culture. So they created a product on top of their product, which tells me they're listening. I think Airbnb is a great stock. They're one of my long-term favorites. So I totally agree with you 100%. So I I, lo I love this conversation and I want to keep this going. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We've got to get back <laughs> to our to our schedule. But guys, <laughs> every single Monday, Chris Capri joins us at 1 p.m. on the Benzinga YouTube live. Um, we go through actual picks. We go through um, how to set up options trades um, and how to look at options flow to help you make better decisions beyond the charts. Um, and, and Chris, I think it would be great if on Monday we continued this conversation about longer term holds. I'm with you. Okay. We, so, will, we will do that this Monday, just focusing on long term. That sounds great. Um, and guys, so if you if you guys want to catch me and Chris talking about this exact topic, talking about seven streams of income, but focusing on those longer term ones, um, give me a one in chat. All right. It's very easy. Mondays. 1 p.m. live. The recordings are on the Benzinga YouTube if you can't make it during the, the, that time in the afternoon. Um, but we got five stars, Chris, from, from Richard here. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I particularly enjoyed this session. Good seeing you. Be well. Thanks, man. You too. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com.